Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. We have a lot to get into on tonight's show, including the successful debuts of some 2023 draftees at Loe Del Marva last week, as well as some insight from Santiago Tabiata, who's going to be joining us tonight. But first, we actually have a very special announcement here at the top of this episode, which is that on Monday, October 2nd, we will be doing a live show from Checker Spot Brewing in Baltimore. Make sure you plan that now. We're slated to start at 6.30 p.m. that evening. The timing works out well because it will be the day after the Major League regular season ends and the day before the postseason begins. So it will not only be an opportunity for us to recap the regular season, but preview the playoffs as well. And Bob, Nick, I know we're really looking forward to this. Yeah, we, we had a ton of fun at Full Tilt last year. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can just build on that and and get this going and, and kick off the playoffs with the Orioles in there the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Nick. I was just saying, I know we had two really good guests on, join us last time, Connor Newcomb and John Mioli. But uh, if you were there hanging out in the live crowd, uh, you never know who might show up, including some uh, some pretty, uh, I'll say, fun, interesting uh, people closely connected to the Orioles showed up. So uh, you show up, and you never know who you, you never know who you might uh, get a chance to talk to. Yeah, there was blood in the water, that's for sure. <laughs> well, and we will be recording not far from Camden Yards at fourteen twenty one Ridley Street in the Carroll Camden Industrial Area. This will be Checker Spot's new location, which is opening up. At the beginning of September, their grand opening will be the weekend of September 16th. So if you're in the area, you should check that out. And then stop back in on Monday, October 2nd for our live episode, which we are really looking forward to. We will have more details between now and then about our lineup as guests, as well as maybe some other fun things that we will have in store for that night. But for now, mark that down on your calendars, Monday, October 2nd at Secker Spot Brewing. And with that, I'll quickly, I'll introduce tonight's guest. If you've been listening to our feed in recent weeks, you've probably heard his excellent work on Behind Between the Numbers, which is a show that comes out about once a week or so, where he dives into some of the advanced uh, analytics uh, on the Orioles and discusses some of the trends that are unfolding on the Major League roster. We're really excited to have him on here for the first time tonight. He is Santiago Tabiata. Santiago, how are you? Doing well. Thank you guys for having me. Really excited to be a part of tonight's show. Uh, yeah, I know I got to get a bit of a schedule down with it between the numbers. So, uh, but yeah, excited to join join you guys here tonight. No, we were talking before this episode even started that you know it's nice to have someone younger with a more analytical background and and even just us. We've been enjoying listening to these things. So educational for everybody on all fronts, and uh, I think it's beneficial for for everybody to get all kinds of different perspectives. And that's what we're trying to provide. And, and you're helping out big time with that. So yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you. Glad to hear it. And we're going to dive into some analytics a little bit later on in this episode. But first, we want to start off by talking about what has been going on at Loe Del Marva over the last week. They were just down in Carolina to take on the Mudcats. And several 2023 draft picks made their Loe debuts in the past week, including Enrique Bradfield Jr., the 17th overall selection in this year's draft. And what did Bradfield do during his first week in Delmarva? Went eight for eight in stolen base attempts 
while drawing nine walks and only striking out twice. Uh, he was just one of a handful of players. We also saw Tavian Josenberger uh, with the Swordbirds for the first time, as well as Matt Horvath. However, the guy that probably stood out the most was Matthew Etzel, who continues to just hit the cover off the ball during uh, his initial few weeks in the Orioles' farm system. Last week, the Swordbirds, Etzel went 8-for-22 with two home runs, nine RBIs, and a 10.73 OPS. So certainly some very good numbers. This is a guy that we didn't pay a lot of attention to coming out of the draft, but he certainly worked his way onto our radar. Etzel was the 10th round pick by the Orioles out of University of Southern Mississippi in this year's draft. Nick, when you look at what Etzel has done here in the first week, even more so than that, if you look at the limited stint he had in the FCL before he went to Del Marva, what has stood out? Uh He's showing the power. I mean, yeah, he's a college bat facing you know, in rookie ball, low A ball, but still, it, he's making good hard contact. Uh, the extra base hits are already showing up for him. That's really good to see. And I know coming out of the draft, he was a guy who there was kind of some comments. I feel like a lot of people weren't super high on Etzel. I know you mentioned uh, kind of off air that maybe there there was some chatter, there was some hype about Etzel in some places before the draft, but. I know even during the whole draft process, it was kind of like, yeah, he's seen like a power uptick. This guy was maybe some sneaky power. Uh, he's definitely showing it right now. I think he only had like seven home runs this past year for Southern Miss. He's already got two as a pro. So, I mean, he, this is a guy who, you know, he wasn't in our top 50. And I think we mentioned either at the end of that episode or after we logged off, like, did, did we miss on Matthew Edsel? Um, but, you know, it's good to be lower on a guy and have him shoot up the boards at least it, but you know, it's he's got the speed. He's showing good patience at the plate as well. It's these Southern Miss guys. You know, retribble didn't work out. I know that, but they're going back to the wall here at Southern Miss. They loaded up on Sun Belt prospects, which is good to see. Most underrated baseball conference in the, in the country, as I said before. That's what's going to be a good sleeper here in this district. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Oh, sorry. Uh, oh no, go for it. We were uh, we were talking about you know during the draft after the draft that. You know, this was an all-athlete draft from the position player side, and I feel like, you know, he's showing off that right now with the power and the speed combination, eight stolen bases between the FCL and low A. Uh, what is it, three doubles, a triple, two home runs? You know, he's just doing everything all over the field. And I think guys like that are going to dominate low A. You know, I think Bradfield, he's just walking nine to one. I think his walk-to-strikeout ratio is right now. Um just stealing bases at will, calls in box. Uh, Matt Corvath, Josenberger, they're all showing up. Even Jalen Vasquez, who was a little bit more of a mystery to me uh, coming into the last couple weeks, but he's showed out too. I think it's college athletes. They're going to play really well at this level. Like we saw Colton Kowser just like he was playing T-ball uh, when he first came to Delmarva. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. They're getting their professional feet wet and then Started Aberdeen next year, and, and that's when the true test begins. But you can't ask for a better start. Yeah, just uh, one quick comment on Etzel. Actually, he hardly goes to the opposite field. So it really looks like it's one of those swings that's like super optimized to try and just squeeze every ounce of power out of that bat. Because he's, he's gone, you know, about 85% of the time. He's either pulling the ball or hitting it up the middle. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah, Etzel, as we just Nick just touched on a moment ago, there were some national outlets in on Etzel coming into this spring. One of them was D1Baseball.com, which ranked him first on their list of top 50 impact JUCO transfers as Etzel made the transfer from Panola College in Texas to Southern Miss this spring. And that was after he had a really good run in the MLB Draft League last year with Williamsport, hitting 371 with a 1049 OPS in 33 games while with the crosscutters. Uh, leading up to the draft, MLB Pipeline had Edsel graded a 65 run tool with 40 power as well as a 50 hit tool. They noted in that that Edsel is a left-handed hitter, employs a contact-oriented approach, and rarely swings and misses at fastballs. That's a skill that we know that the Orioles really like. Also, quoting here from this report, he understands that his best tool is as well above average speed and concentrating it on, on base so he can use it. He looked like a slap hitter in the first three months of the season, but began incorporating his legs better in the swing afterward and showed enough pop to produce 12 to 10 to 12 home runs per year. So this does feel like a little bit of the Orioles MO and the guy that has some helium coming into the draft. They pick him up out of the Sunbelt Conference. And it is, you know, I wouldn't say a raw skill set 
but maybe not one where you look at the hit tool or power tool and you feel like that's a card-carrying tool that's going to get him there. But at the same time, he has the speed to stick up the middle. I don't think we're going to see him in center field much as long as he's playing in the same outfield as Bradfield. But at some point, you kind of hope that even if it means that Bradfield's promoted and Edsel hangs back at a level for a little bit, you get to see him in center field because most reports suggest that he can probably stick there. Yeah, I think the Orioles will soon have center fielders throughout all three outfield positions for like most of their minor league teams and hopefully the major leagues eventually too. Um, not right now with Austin Hayes getting time in center field, but it is what it is. Um, yeah, it's, it's just like a gl- too much of a good thing, I guess. You know, they know what they're doing over there. That's it. <laughs> I was going to say, we, I think. I can't remember when we had this conversation. Maybe we're talking about Aberdeen, but you look at Aberdeen's roster at all the stolen bases, right? Even Max Wagner over here stealing, approaching 30 stolen bases on the season, which is mind blowing. But, and is it more of like, all right, Roberto Mercado is just taking advantage of some A ball catchers and just saying, go use the speed. Uh, maybe, maybe that surface there in Aberdeen as well. But I, I think these draft picks are kind of fitting that mold of what we're seeing, especially in the lower levels of the minor league. The Orioles really focusing on is preparing their major league roster in a couple of years for the new rules and the new way of baseball. Uh, at least some of the slight adjustments at the major league level, at least because like Bradfield is not the prototypical, like first round draft pick that we've been used to. And uh, just, these are what seven, eight, nine games. These college guys who have made their debuts already. You talked about Bradfield's numbers already 12 walks to five strikeouts. And these are all both FCL and low a numbers, but 12 walks to five strikeouts. He's nine for nine in stolen base attempts. Josenberger's got 10 walks, six strikeouts, three for five in solo base attempts in eight games. Edsel, you talk about his numbers, eight for nine solo base attempts. Jalen Vasquez has eight walks, just one strikeout. He has three, he's three for four in solo base attempts. So in total, we've seen these college guys already draw 40 walks to just 28 strikeouts, and they're 24 for 29 solo base attempts in a week and a half's worth of games. Uh, so that's exciting to see. Again, college guys in low A, yeah, take that with a grain of salt as well, but Still, it's, these are some exciting young uh, athletes, and each of them does have you – know, Etzel seems like he's got some good, even if it's heavy pull power, he's got that. Josenberger, we'll see what his you know, card-carrying tool is. We get to see more of him, but we know what Bradfield's tools are, and Horvath you know, doesn't have the, the stolen base numbers yet, but and he's got six walks to seven strikeouts, but Horvath's got four extra base hits in six games already. So it's fun to see all these college guys finally uh, off to the hot starts here. I feel like Enrique Bradfield could be like Ricky Henderson. Like that's how much his speed is just like game changing right now. He's just hitting dribblers, you know, right to the left of the mound, beating out the throw, getting a pitch to the ball. Then he'll steal third base. Then pass ball gets him home. Like he's just, just uh, chaos on the field. And, and he'll chase down at you. We saw Cedric Mullins make that incredible catch in Seattle yesterday. Well, if you can, get Mullins eventually if you extend him and this is looking ahead a little bit but get Bradfield up here his center field defense and then you can move well, I doubt uh, Mullins is going to be able to Spider-Man climb the left field wall in in Baltimore but you get him out in a uh, left field or right field probably left field because of his arm and who knows Kowser whoever in right field then you're talking about an elite defense elite speed Bradfield's like Jorge Mateo but you know Maybe he can hit a little bit. It was a four stolen basis for Bradfield in Sunday's finale against Carolina. Yeah, four stolen bases and a couple walks. Just absurd. And I don't even care. Like right now, I don't even care if he doesn't hit the ball out of the infield. It's just fun to watch him kind of toy with these low A infielders, making those low A pitchers work. Uh, practice your PFPs down there. Bradfield's uh, Bradfield's going to expose you in that area of the game, but. Yeah, like I said, not prototypical. He's he's not the left-handed power bat that we've seen the Orioles go first round. But and I, like I said, I'm glad we didn't record live when the first round of the draft happened because my reaction maybe wouldn't have been as positive about selecting Bradfield there in the first round. But I'm falling in love more and more with Bradfield like every day that I sit here and watch him. Yeah, it's just fun to have like a different brand of baseball. You don't want everyone to have the same skill set. You want a, a mix of things and. You know, I doubt that he'll ever, I mean, maybe he will, but I just don't see him being like a top 50 prospect in baseball. But that doesn't mean he's not going to be incredibly fun to watch all the way up and doesn't mean he can't be a super productive Major League Baseball player. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, 
reminds me a little bit of Estuary Ruiz right now, but I think hopefully a way better bat, you know, definitely walks at a better rate. And um, yeah, I mean, Estuary Ruiz has like a 600 OPS, but he's still got, you know, he's, he's still about a one win player this season. And that's just all from his legs and, and his fielding. So, you know, it's, I think it's safe to say it's a super high floor for Bradfield. Yeah, I completely agree. And while we're mainly focusing on Delmarva in this segment, I do want to throw this out there. Kobe Mayo hit a home run on Sunday off the top of the video board in Jacksonville that left the bat at 110 miles per hour. So if you're watching this live, after this episode ends, before the Orioles game starts, pull up a clip of that home run because uh, you probably heard it from wherever you were on Sunday. You just didn't know that that was the ball leaving the bat. Uh, and if you're listening to this later on, just pull up the clip after you finish listening to us. And with that, I'm going to uh, bring in Santiago here. I just mentioned at the top of the episode, Santiago has been doing excellent work for us on Between the Numbers, which is an episode we've been releasing every 10 to 14 days or so on our main feed. If you're a member of our Patreon community, which Santiago is, you get that episode before it goes out on the main feed. But we thought tonight we'd bring him in to talk a little bit about positional court. And what that means is really trying to dive into the players that are on the 2023 roster, how they fit into this team for the rest of the season, and then looking ahead a little bit to 2024, when we know that there's going to be a lot of prospects knocking on the door in the major leagues, more than you have roster spots for. And that's something we've talked about a lot on the show, but we thought it'd be a good opportunity tonight to take a little bit more of an analytical look at things. So Santiago, as we start this conversation, give our listeners a sense of what you kind of view as the positional core. So I think, um, you know, definition varies depending on who you ask. Uh, but just for, for simplicity's sake, I kind of set my benchmark in this process at around, you know, players who have produced two more for a season, which is about, you know, a league average player, um, which might sound low. But it's actually something that, as we'll see, it's it's not, you know, as as fungible or, or as easily found as as one might think when thinking, oh, you know, just league average player. So that's good to know. And just kind of give us when you look at the positional core of the Orioles right now, who would be in there for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think another convenient thing about this threshold is that for pretty much almost every team, you know, it gives you the names that you're looking for. For the Orioles, you come up with five guys. So Rutschman, Henderson leading the way, Mullins, Hayes, and Santander. I think, you know, that's a pretty fair group to say that has been the Orioles' core this season. And is that the number you you typically are going to get, like five or six guys constitutes a core, and then you kind of fill in around that? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it really um, – depends on the team there's there's you know i mean we've seen one insane team in the past you know uh decade or so the 2017 astros who literally had their entire lineup uh full of players who would meet that core definition which you know that's where maybe that that threshold falls a little bit short but yeah generally speaking playoff teams are you know between four to seven guys that meet that threshold really four to six um, you get like 70% of, of playoff teams and since 2017 um, have yeah a core of that size. Let's um, kind of dive into some of the players on that core right now. And this is something we just saw play out today with Colton Kowser opsin to the minor leagues as Aaron Hicks comes back from the IL. Austin Hayes, all-starred this year. You mentioned he's part of that positional core, rightfully so. But at the same time, he has really not been hitting for the last couple of months. And it feels like sort of a tailspin similar to what we saw a year ago. Do you see him turning it around? And if not, how do the Orioles work around that down the stretch? Yeah. As far as, as Hayes goes, I'll be honest. I think he's just not healthy. I mean, I think he's got pretty much every single sign that you would uh, look at a player and say, that guy's playing through an injury. You know, he's, his ground ball rate has spiked. He's, you know, swinging and missing more, just he's he's just not the same guy as he was, and it it really is just such a steep drop after um, I believe he had a collision at first base. Uh, ever since that day, it's 
genuinely just been downhill. Uh, in terms of down the stretch, I, I don't think it, it'll be a huge deal. I think it's going to be exciting to see maybe Kerstad come up and, uh, you know, I don't know if, if they'd be comfortable playing him and left, but um, I think he, he could do some exciting things. But I also think Kowser, uh he was doing some things um, well, even though I think he was definitely pressing and struggling through, you know, the major league adjustments. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys um, that, you know, sometimes just a little reset in the minor leagues and then they come back up. I mean, we're seeing it with Grayson right now, you know. Uh, so I, I think they'll be fine. Um, but it would be ideal if, if Hayes could get some rest. But I think either he himself or the team are just uh, opposed to that, it feels like. Yeah. Hayes just, Hayes scares me because it's, even if he is, all right, if he's got the injury and maybe we see like a fan, not a, it wouldn't be a phantom if he's actually hurt, but maybe we see an IL stint here now, let him go ahead and rest up, clean up before this home stretch, before the playoff push there at the very end. But still, it was like those first couple of years in the major leagues, it was always injury after injury after injury. And it's it's not like he's injury prone, quote unquote. It's just he he hustles. It's like these hustle injuries where it's like, take a step back, wind it down just a, maybe a little bit because all of his injuries seem to be like, stretching singles into doubles or these like freak injuries that happen with him just playing a hundred percent crashing in the walls, which is it's fine. It's fun to see him go hard like that, but he's got the injuries that continue to pile up. And then like we saw this last year too, where he stayed healthy. He played in 145 games last year, but these cold stretches, especially in the second half of the season, I'm, I'm not convinced that Hayes kind of sticks around here. I don't know what they're going to do with him, but his future, I think, just feels like murky to me because like Bob was saying, maybe you can move Mullins over to left field and have one of these center field guys come up at some point. Um, or, you know, Mullins has got, you know, two, three years at least probably playing, you know, good center field. So you've got time for some of the younger prospects to come up. But I think a guy like Kirstad, you talk about where do you place him defensively? I think he could fit right field at the major leagues. I'd like to see, you know, Kirstad come up. And I think the Orioles view Kirstad as part of that future core here maybe maybe not by the end of this year we'll see if he gets the call up in september but like i think next year and beyond the orioles view Kershad as a guy that's going to be a fixture in, in the middle part of this lineup for years to come yeah I, if if anthony santander can play defense in right field i think Kershad could probably hang in there mm -hmm. as well he can also play a little bit of first base first base and dh is is right there as well i'd love to see him come up get his feet wet and then you can go into spring training next year with both Kowser and Kersed having got a little bit of that first time up in the major league jitters out of the way. They can learn from that and take those into the offseason to adjust uh, and start fresh in 2024. But as far as Hayes, like, does a player and a team have to agree to go in the IL? Like, I don't understand what his uh, problem is with going on the IL, just getting rested up and then come back fresh. I guess it's like a pride thing for him. And I know he's great in the clubhouse and he has a presence on the team, but man, it's just, you can just tell like it's taking everything he can do. Like when he has those big hits, like he, he did hit a home run uh, the other day. He had a nice solid hit uh, either yesterday or the day before, but man, he's just beating everything into the ground. He just looks exhausted. He looks like, I don't know, like he's just got to really just oh, give like 110% on every swing to even try to be what he was naturally in the first half. So, yeah, I, I think if he's fully healthy, he's an incredibly talented player, but it just seems impossible for that to last over a course of a full season. And, yeah, I think he's probably going to be traded in, in the offseason. Yeah, I think one one more no, like if Hayes was to go on the AL, I feel like it would also be interesting to see maybe, you know, we, we saw Westberg take some reps in the outfield earlier this season. So I think especially Westberg's pretty fast. I feel like it could be interesting at least for a game or two to see him uh, handle left just to add to that versatility. But in terms of, of Hayes getting traded, I, I honestly think it's, you know, it's not set in stone or anything, but if, if you were to look at, a guy that was going to get traded in the offseason. I feel like he is the prime candidate because, you know, he, he has been somewhat inconsistent in the past two seasons, whether that's injury-related or not. And I think the Orioles also just have a lot of guys 
are, you know, trying to get playing time. Uh, and you got Kowser and Kurset both looking ready to to have a full-time role in the, in the next season. So I think Hayes might get, you know, pushed out a bit. Yeah, I could see that. And when we were previewing the trade deadline a few weeks ago, you know, the subject of possibly trading Hayes came up, and I said that I wouldn't do it in season just because of what it could do to the clubhouse or the clubhouse chemistry. But in the offseason, I think it's completely a fair game. The ideal fit for Austin Hayes, if you're looking for a trade partner, and I don't have a specific team off the top of my head when I say this, but what I'm thinking about is a ballpark that's better for right-handed hitters than Baltimore and a team that can put him in right field, which is going to be his best position defensively. Let his arm play up there. Maybe you get into that kind of 20 home run power that we thought Hayes had coming up in the minor leagues or that he could hit that ceiling. You pair that with a strong arm. And the, the, the approach to the plate is what it is. He's been this way his whole career. He's always going to be aggressive for better or worse. So you just hope that if you are the team trading for Austin Hayes, you get the Austin Hayes that can stay healthy enough over the course of a season that he's at least driving the ball consistently, can hit 270, 275, somewhere in there, knowing he's not going to walk a whole lot, but hopefully not strike out very much. And that getting him out of Baltimore allows him to tap into a little bit more home run power. Yeah, I feel like Miami might be a good fit. I think he's from Florida anyway, so kind of like going going home there for him. Um, I think he played college at Jacksonville. So, yeah, I think, you know, also a team where maybe he could platoon more or at least not be a six-game-a-week guy and get worn down by the end of the season could help. But I think for the Orioles, coming into 2024, the core outfield has got to be, you got to think, Kowser in left, Mullins in center, Santander and Kerstad combination in right slash DH potentially, and then a fourth outfielder, whether it's a free agent or McKenna again. Do you guys agree? Yeah. 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 Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just, I like, I like how, I think Kowser's going to be up there as a part of this just because, and you look at some of his numbers too. I, I think that was just the rookie going through growing pains. I mean, he had his hard hit rate was 42 and a half percent. At his, he's still walking. We know he has one of the best eyes in the entire organization. Uh, I know even, even some others out there who kind of agreed with us and said he's got a better batter's eye than even guys like Adley Rutschman and Gunner. And both of those guys have fantastic batter's eyes. Kowser, like, I've said it before, you watch Kowser live like in in person, he's he's different. You can see him like maybe this is just me in the weird way I lo- I'm looking at the game. But I just feel like when I watch Kowser play, you can see him processing this game a little bit differently at the plate. He's one of these guys that just he knows the strike zone better than umpires. And I think like Santiago said, he's just a rookie pressing up there at the major leagues right now. And maybe now he's got that taste. He gets back down to AAA. He can kind of reset, regroup. And if he comes up this year, again, great. And if not, I think he's going to come out with a lot to prove next year in spring training. And I think he can fully you know, take one of those spots. And like we mentioned before, too, even if Kowser is just a guy who plays like on the strong side of a platoon, that's not a failure. I think that's the Orioles are going to use that to maximize these guys' strengths. And you know, like Bob said, it'd be fun to do that with a guy like Austin Hage right now, but you know, I don't I don't really see the other pieces right now to maybe do that. Yeah, and I think I even saw an interview with Kowser where he mentioned something like, I just gotta get out of my damn head. So that's where a reset might might help there. And you can just see like he's not the same confident, like just I don't know. You can tell that he's just not, it just hasn't clicked yet. We saw it with Gunner at the beginning of the season, defensively and offensively. And I think it'll happen. A lot of uh, casual Oriole fans are are calling him a bust already and giving up on him. But that is, I think that's so far from the truth. I think he's, uh, he's got power. He's got patience at the plate. He hits the ball hard. I think once he's comfortable out in the outfield in a major league three tier stadium, that he's going to chase balls down. He's, a great left fielder. He can play center field. It's not like, you know, he's not Mullins out there with the range, but he's not also going to have the miscues that he's had so far early on. Yeah. Well, I mean, when looking at Kowser, I think it's also just, you know, if you look at guys who have profiled similarly, similarly to him uh, in terms of how they performed in AAA, and this isn't a perfect comp, but just looking at like 23-year-olds in AAA, who walk greater than 15%. The guys that are around him are George Springer, 
Daniel Vogelbach, who if he, you know, was more athletic, I'm sure he would be, you know, a, a higher quality player. Yasmani Grandal, Brandon Bell, Nate Lowe. You know, I mean, those are all big league hitters who who have at one time or another been above average hitters. I think Kowser's going to be okay. Those are stuff like that. That's honestly my favorite part of the episodes that you do. When you're able to take these guys and like put it into context and show us like the last one that Bob just posted today, I was listening to it and, you know, being able to explain, all right, these are what some other guys in the big leagues did at their level and how these guys compare. Because you talk about comps all the time, as far as like, what they look like, maybe what the swing looks like, whatever. But to sit here and actually say, no, this guy did this in the minor leagues. These are what already proven established big leaguers have done. I feel like if maybe there was more of that information going out there, then you know people would like, all right, let's give Colton Kowser a break. Because if he's you know Brandon Belt, that's a fantastic pickup. Like that's that's a hit. You hit that pick, right? So yeah, I think Kowser, I'm not worried about Kowser at all. Um I don't need to go on another Colton Kowser rant here. Uh, I feel like his actions are speaking for themselves already. But, uh, yeah, he's a guy that I, I think this organization views him as a pretty key piece to the organization you know, moving forward. Uh, he just came up a moment ago. Gunnar Henderson, he got off to a really cold start this year but has picked things up over the last few months, not just offensively but defensively. He's looking a lot more comfortable at third base. He's certainly holding down the shortstop position when he's out there. Uh, Santiago, how do you feel like he's been trending in the last few months? And is the Rookie of the Year award still in play for him at this point? I'll, I'll answer the, the second question first. I, I think, I mean, if he just keeps doing what he's been doing the past couple of months, he's going to kind of run away with it. You know, uh, Young came down with an, an injury recently. I think he's going to be out a decent amount of time. I think uh, Luke Rayleigh might still be eligible, but... I don't really see him getting votes. Uh, and then Hunter Brown, I think, might might be the, the biggest competition. But even then, I think voters would side with, you know, the 22-year-old, you know, superstar in the making. Um, I think it fits the narrative well. You know, it's just the rising Orioles and, and Henderson, I think. And also, you know, that not that's just putting aside how, how good he's been in the past two months or so. Uh yeah, he's going to yeah, be a core guy for a long time. <laughs> the Orioles, I think, put a dent in Hunter Brown's uh, rookie of the year chances themselves when they they left him in a little bit too long in that one game last week. So, yeah, you got to think Gunner is going to hold down one of the positions on the left side of the infield for the next at least five six years. Then you got Jordan Westberg, who I feel like I can admit that I expected him to have a much tougher time adjusting to the majors and. He honestly hasn't missed a beat. I mean, his OPS is a little bit under 800, so it's not like he was lighting it up for the same amount of power that he was in AAA. But I feel like defensively, he's been phenomenal at second base, third base when he's there. So I feel like you can count on him now. Maybe Ramon Arias is in like that Austin Hayes position where I don't really see where he fits in next year at the Major League roster, even though he's a very solid player and, and valuable for this Orioles team right now. I feel like Jordan Westberg can take his place. Then you got Joey Ortiz just waiting his turn to take Mateo's place. So infield feels like going to be pretty easy to fill internally for the next decade. Yeah. I mean, and oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you go ahead. Oh, uh, well, just, you know, just looking at at like how these guys are projected to perform in the years to come, both Hayes and Urias actually both uh, project based on, uh, I believe, uh, steamer projections. They both are projecting, uh, or sorry, SIPs uh, by Dan Sombrowski. Uh, they're both projecting to, to have, you know, greater than two war seasons in both 2024 and 2025. So these guys are definitely valuable players. But the thing is, the Orioles also have so many guys who are projecting to, to do that well. Uh, Westberg is projected to be a three-win player next season. Uh, Joey Ortiz is projected to, to be, you know, two-plus win player. Uh, Kowser is also in there. So, you, you know, you start looking at, at all these names, it, it's really going to be, uh, you know, there's there's somewhat of an excess of riches here where you, you got to try and weigh out, you know, what, how are we going to maximize the value uh, that's in the organization? That's before you even get to the next wave of Kobe Mayo, Jackson Holiday, and they could be ready sooner than, than uh, 
than later. Um, I know there's a little bit of mention of does holiday get some time in uh, September for the Orioles. I, I can't rule it out, but I, I don't think so. I think he's a spring training guy or opening day guy next year, but we'll see. And Mayo, you know, he's, he's adjusting to AAA right now, but that power will play no matter what. So I think mid-season 2024, he's a guy that's probably knocking on the door as well. Yeah, definitely. And and I think if you're looking at just, you know, who are the guys who have just being like very, very realistic about who are the guys who have like five plus win seasons, you know, like bona fide all-star seasons in the organization uh, besides Gunner and, and Adley. I mean, you'd probably look at Kowser, Mayo, Holiday as maybe having that type of ceiling. You know, uh, I, I would throw in curse that as well, but I, I don't know if, if the defensive value will be there enough. But also Basayo, I would say, is the other guy with that type of ceiling. Um, it, it's it's really crazy to have so many guys with so, so much upside. And re- I know this is a question I get all the time, and there's so much discussion about this, like in the Patreon chat and just everywhere. It's like, where do we fit all of these guys? And, I mean, looking ahead to next year, even if Holiday – is that call up even if holiday is on the opening day roster like is there any way that all of these guys westberg ortiz holiday gunner do you guys see any way that we can get all of them in this are they all regulars in this lineup at this point next year i think so (laughs) i think um just say gunner at third most days holiday at short most days westberg at second most days trade arias use joey ortiz as your roving guy who gives each of those infielders a day off each week. So he could play third base one day, shortstop, second base. He can, you know, they're going to do these platoons with the righties and lefties. Um, It just seems like what's the trend they're going in. You know, it's not like a full game thing. Joey Ortiz starts at shortstop against all all lefties. And then, I don't know, whoever, Holiday or or Gunner come in sometimes. I think you can rotate those four guys. Connor Norby might be the, the odd guy out, but... I, th- I think you can rotate, work with those four guys at least next year, and then maybe you you pick who, which guy you think can can just stick and be an everyday guy from there. And Mayo, I feel like he can rotate between third base, right field, first base, DH, well, however you can get his bat in. Yeah, I I I would agree. I think generally speaking, you know, the team. You know, there's only nine lineup spots, and you're talking about, you know, next year, realistically looking at just from this moment, you know, it looks like there could be 11 or 12 guys that could, you know, really buy for everyday lineup spots. And, and you know, when it comes down to, you know, are you going to give Jackson Holiday or Ramon Urias playing time? You know, I think that answer kind of, you know, that, I, that answers itself. And I, I think the to some extent, the same happens. Are you going to give Hayes or Kerstad and Kowser those at-bats, you know? Um, so I think the overall health of the organization – oh, and the the other thing, uh, you know, Hayes and Urias, they have, you know, in the case of Hayes, two years of control, and then Urias, three years of control. You'd still get decent returns for them. They are quality major league players. It's not like, you know, we're saying, oh, if you – trade Joey Ortiz, you're going to get a, a solid major league starter. And if you trade Hayes, you're going to get, you know, a bag of baseballs. Uh, they, they do have a lot of value. And I think they, they might just get squeezed out. Yeah, they're, they're, the Orioles will have to be creative to get those four guys into the lineup next year. Talking about Henderson, Westberg, Ortiz, and Holiday on a regular basis. And up until probably sometime in June, I thought we wouldn't see Holiday in the major leagues until late 2024, but he has performed so well that he's going to force the issue much sooner than that. He's going to make have a case probably by spring training to have a major league roster spot. You're still going to have to figure out a way to work in Ortiz into that, but with his defense playing as well at second and short as it does, you're going to get him at bats. The same with Holiday. You're going to let him play every day because that's a guy that could win Rookie of the Year. And as for Westberg, I think something that has stood out to me is that his defense at second base, both from the analytics perspective and from the eye test perspective, has been really good. 
Um, and that could solve some issues that the Orioles have had the last few years, where they've had to put in guys like Ruben Meadowdor and Adam Frazier, who do certain things well on defense, but are not what you would call great or probably even you know good defensive second baseman. They're adequate. They do certain things really well. Westbrook actually looks like the guy that you could put out there. And in a good year, he might be competing for a gold glove. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's looked phenomenal. And his speed is like 92nd percentile as well. I didn't see that coming. Um, Dental Office says, no reason to call up Howdy early next year. And I just have to agree, Dental Office. Um, You know, this rookie of the year thing changes things significantly. In a normal, you know, before the new CBA, maybe you say, we'll keep him down until June or July 2024, you know, get the extra year out of him. But the chance, if he's as good as he seems to be, I mean, he's batting almost 400 in double A um, with like a OPS well over 1,000 at 19 years old. Can't, can't leave that part out. Um, then you want him eligible to win a rookie of the year. So to do that, he's either going to start next year in the majors or he's going to not play in the major leagues until end of August, early September, 2024. And I don't think that's going to be the case. So yeah. And another thing to keep in mind is that I think Kowser will still be eligible for rookie of the year if he stays in the minors the rest of the season. So they could conceivably have Kowser, Holiday, Joey Ortiz, and Heston Kerstad eligible for that rookie of the year uh, extra draft pick next year. And I think they're probably going to want as many bullets in that chamber as as possible. Yeah, and talking about fitting all these guys in, right? And all right, maybe the Orioles do have to get creative, but at the same time, there are a lot of still younger guys who it'd be curious to see like how they're going to hold up across the full their first full seasons of the major leagues, right? Even Joey Ortiz, and especially someone like Jackson Holiday, who would be twenty years old in his first full year in the big leagues if he's on the opening day roster. Which like this got me thinking about like this year's squad though, like. That would be only my that's one of my big concerns now from the rest of this way here as far as the hitters are concerned like there's discussion about adley rushman and that bat right and it's like all right he's played a lot we were i was expecting adley to get more time off this year and yeah james mccann's done a good job of spelling him behind the plate but he's still in that lineup every day gunner went through the struggles the early part of that year there and so i'm sure this was a not just a physical grind for him but a mental grind for him as well trying to break through that slump and now performing as well as he has been. But my concern now to kind of bring it back to this year would be, is there any concern for you guys about, are they going to be able to hold up for this playoff stretch and then a deep playoff run for the rest of this year? Do do we have the pieces somewhere in here to kind of give these guys more time off down the stretch while still being competitive? A little bit, but I think you got to hope that ignorance is bliss and they're so young, they don't know any better and they're just going to run on the vibes. Like I was talking about just, you know, team of destiny, buy into it and just kind of get along that way. But yeah, it's, it's not a terrible point uh, there, Nick. Yeah. For the way I see it, I think I worry more like if, if like with the position players, like how is that going to impact them long-term, especially like a position like catching, you know, um, you know, Joe Maurer had to stop catching at a fairly young age because he caught so many games. So, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but it is something that comes to mind. Uh, I I worry way more about the pitching. Uh, I know I, I covered in one of the episodes that, of Between the Numbers, I think episode two, but almost every arm <laughs> in in the Oriole staff is showing some signs of fatigue. You know, whether it's changes in release point, reduced velocity, uh, worsened command. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that's where where it gets a little bit uh, scary. Um, but you know, hopefully, the resurgence of CNL Perez and Fujinami, you know, becoming a bit more consistent. Hopefully, I think that could go a really long way. Jacob Webb, you can kind of yeah. integrate some new people in there. Hopefully, to to bring a jolt of energy in there. And I think moving to a six man rotation was probably pretty smart. For the rest of the regular season and Cole Irvin he's up to 94 95 with his fastball maybe yeah. you know obviously he's he didn't live up to expectations this year but I think he's still got three years of control after this year so definitely not all is written on that Daryl Hernandez trade just yet so hopefully they can find a way to get these arms 
a little bit of rest, and John Means, can, who is back tomorrow in Double A, uh, hopefully Tyler Wells coming back after some some time off slash some time to just kind of throw three innings a week. Uh, hopefully that can can do some some good, and uh, yeah, we'll see. Either way, it's going to be a great experience for these guys. I think you know this is the start of a very long run, hopefully, uh, seemingly. So the playoff experience, whether it's a short stint or not, it's going to be fun and it's going to be valuable. Yeah. I think that that's the best you can hope for on the pitching side is that getting John means back. I don't think we've seen the last of DL hall in the major leagues this year, a guy like Irvin, you know, he's obviously, he had his fair share of struggles early on, but he has looked a lot better of late. And you can look at him and say, he's probably been underused compared to what he's used to throwing in the course of a season. So if Irvin could go out and be the guy that destabilizes uh, the bullpen by extent, by pitching, you know, five or six innings every start and the rotation being that effective six starter, I would be happy with that result. You know that you can count on Kyle Gibson for innings. Um, so I, it is a concern for me, definitely, but I do feel like the Orioles may be able to find a way to work around it at least up until the playoffs, I'm going to throw this out from the position player perspective. Would any of you, let's say the Orioles were able to build a little bit of a lead over the final weeks of August going into September for the division. You feel like by mid-September, they've kind of got things wrapped up. If you were looking ahead at that, would you bring up Anthony Benboom from, from Norfolk and give him some opportunities behind the plate down the stretch just to rest Adley a little bit. Because at least you know with Ben Boom, he knows how to work with pitching staff. He's a good pitch framer behind the plate. You could still get Adley stat in the lineup sometimes. You still get McCann stat in there. But I do wonder if you bring up Ben Boom so that you can rest Hutzman a little bit more for the playoffs. That's provided, though, you can build a, you know, a sizable lead, which is another question in and of itself. But... I just wonder if the Orioles would go that route for the final few weeks this week. I just personally don't see any reason to need a third catcher right now. I just think you just play McCann more, and that kind of solves that. You can maybe give Adley one full day off a week, DH him two others, and then have him catch two or three games. I don't know. I think you can make better use of a guy like Kerstad or even Kowser coming back up or Joey Ortiz. Like I think that's a better use of that, but I guess, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe there is is value in Anthony Benboom coming back up, and uh, he hasn't been playing that bad, honestly, this year in AAA. So, worse things could happen, I guess. You're also talking about the Orioles, who have kept how many times if they put three catchers on this roster? So, I mean, no, I mean it's a good idea. And Luis yeah, Torrens back. <laughs> Somebody. Um, what's Joseph Godoy doing? Is he still in the organization? Uh, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they do. That would be the ideal situation, though. If hopefully, you know, not to get into some of the specifics about why Tampa Bay is hurting right now outside of the pitching injuries, obviously, but you know, Tampa Bay, who knows how this team is going to survive down the stretch, right? The pitchers are falling like flies. The lineup is definitely being altered uh, at this point, probably for <laughs> extreme alterations in the next couple of days. It's uh, going to be a huge distraction just chemistry wise i'm sure yeah like in the clubhouse what what are these guys talking about how is it impacting them behind the scenes and this is going to have a major impact on that organization right now um you know i'm still scared of the blue jays i think toronto could put together a, a stretch there and surge their way back up not really concerned about boston or new york anymore at this point to be honest but like it'd be ideal if the Orioles could get that just slight lead where even you know even on the going back to the pitching side of things too where yeah, find a way to get Adley some more time off, some other guys a little bit more rest, but at the same time, pitching, like, it'd be ideal. I know a lot of people, you know, aren't fans of his, don't want to see him up there, but it'd be ideal if you can say, all right, we don't absolutely need to win this game. Go wear one Keegan Aiken. Like, go out there and just throw six innings. Who cares what happens, right? You couldn't on even have said <laughs> Bruce Zimmerman. Come on. <laughs> Somebody, anybody, any of them. Uh, you know, go out there and wear one for six innings and just help us save this bullpen, help us extend, you know, skip a start for the starters, like something. Uh, hopefully that's how this plays out, but it's the Baltimore Orioles. And I feel like since opening day, like those dramatic win on opening day, and that was a precursor to the rest of this year that it's, we're not going to get that lead to kind of 
take the foot off the gas even just for a little bit, I feel like. You know, if Keegan Aiken came up and pitched six innings of four-run baseball in a random game in September, Masson would air that as a classic during every rain delay next year. <laughs> At least <laughs> ten times. My dark horse for that role, I, I really don't think it'll happen because we would have to, um, you know, it would involve a 40-man move. Garrett Stallings, I you know what, like just – he has sneaky good stuff, just based on on stuff plus at least. Uh, his numbers aren't great. He seems to be really inconsistent, but I don't know. I, I root for the guy, and I really hope he. You know, I would love to see him do that instead of Aiken. You know, if someone has to go out there and maybe wear one. Yeah, I I love that. I I think honestly, Garrett Stallings is like right-handed Bruce Zimmerman in a way, a little bit. Like he's got really good control. He can strike guys out, but he's just – the stuff's not quite good enough, so when he leaves it in the middle, it's going to get crushed a long way. But, yeah, him or Kyle Baranovich, maybe. You can get a little uh, tryout before the 40-man decision has to be made. Put him on there early, and if, you know, you don't love what you see, you can always take him off. But, yeah, interesting what could happen if we got a four- or five-game lead, which, you know, let's see. <laughs> I don't know. Who do I got to pray to? But I- I'll do it. Yeah. I like the Stallings one too. I, I think that would be a really cool story just because, I mean, like we were told last year, this guy was basically cut. I mean, the Orioles are ready to send him out the door when he went on that awful stretch. And it seemed like he had some some people in this organization who pounded the table pretty hard for him and kept him around. And he went on that magical run there for like two straight months. And this year, it's kind of the same thing. You know, he high ground ball numbers as well. The stuff is good. He can locate his stuff pretty well. I'm curious to see. I haven't. I don't know if you looked at the Santiago or not, but I haven't looked at the other stuff. Like, you know, I feel like that left field side at Harbor Park is. I don't know if it's like home run friendly, but I feel like it's a little bit easier to for right-handers to you know get those pull side home runs at Harbor Park. And I wonder if he could be somewhat productive over that Camden Yards with that left field wall. If that's a, a guy who could be greatly benefited, and you know, you're not asking him to go out there for a full season, just three, four starts here of the final month or so of the season. Yeah. I, I haven't looked particularly at Harbor park or anything like that, but you know, we do know how uh, Mount Baltimore works. So it would definitely suppress uh, numbers a lot in that sense. Um, my guess, I, I haven't looked at it in particular, but I guess it depends on, on how, how he performs against uh, you know, whether it's righties or lefties that are more of a problem. I will say Stallings again. I'm I'm just looking at stuff plus has one of the worst stuff plus measures I've ever seen for a four seam fastball, uh, and and he he doesn't throw it too much, but he throws it, and I don't think that's faring very well. These are just guesses, but you know he looks like he has a decent sinker, decent slider. You know a lot of decent stuff across the board, but. Um, yeah, similar. Actually, the only other guy I've seen have a, a four-seam fastball grade that bad uh, is Bruce, Bruce Zimmerman. So, uh, yeah. Thomas Eshelman. So before we go down the rabbit hole, remembering uh, pitchers from the 2018 and 2019 uh, seasons, and before we get into our final segment, that there's another guy I want to touch on, which is Cedric Mullins. Uh, we saw on Sunday what he can do with the bat and with the glove. Uh making a game-saving catch and then hitting the go-ahead home run 10 minutes apart. Santiago, if Mullins is healthy for good, uh, he doesn't have any more issues with the quad between now and the end of the season, what kind of difference could he make down the stretch? I think the the toolkit that he brings makes him like one of the biggest game-changers in the division. Uh, he is that impressive. I feel like he's also just cleaned up a lot of his weaknesses over time. This year we've seen a bounce back against lefties. He doesn't strike out too much. He, he walks a decent amount. Uh, incredible center fielder. He's even increased his arm strength over the past couple of years. I, I know there was a while back there was some story about how he went on a, on a long tossing program. I think it was something like that. But, you know, it, it's just – He's 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 an impressive impressive player. I, I think he's he's a guy who I guess he 
you could even argue that this season, at least, you you could even argue he's the second best player on the team, uh, long term or in the next few years. He's I think safely kind of a top three player just because of the toolkit that he brings. Yeah, yeah. and run prevention is going to be key in, in the playoffs and down the stretch as well. So the defense is essential. Yeah, I think we were talking about who would uh, be the most missed player if they went down for injury early in the season. It was Adley 1, Mullins 2, and I think uh, it's a miracle that the team was able to win as many games as they did in his absence because he really is just so integral to just consistency and just being a rock in center field goes uh, underappreciated, I feel like, when he's out there every day. So now we know what we were missing, and don't do that again, Cedric, and and stay in here, and we can extend you four or five years. I would love to do that and keep him in Baltimore. Um, Yeah, I I think it's fantastic. Hopefully he's good because the rest of the season, I think he could make a, a real mark in the playoffs as well. If he makes a catch like that in the playoffs in a big spot, he's a superstar immediately. Yeah, he's and someone else I know commented on Twitter. I forget who it was. Apologies if you're a listener of the show, but uh, someone had commented like the one thing that they really enjoyed in that game yesterday was the emotion that Mullen showed. He's a guy that you really don't see too too much of that, and it was really cool to see him get fired up after that catch. I I just go back to just anecdotally about Cedric Mullins here, going back to what was that 2019. When he got sent down to AAA and then sent down to AA, and it's like, all right, you had the reins here. This was supposed to be your center field job at the major league level. He what couldn't even crack a batting average of 100. Gets sent down not once but twice. And I remember, I distinctly I have vivid memories of watching Cedric Mullins like walk to the batter's box at AA Bowie after that second demotion. And just like the life just did not seem to be there of him. Like that's not the Cedric Mullins. The smile wasn't there. The energy wasn't there. Just kind of aloof in the batter's box and it was like it was honestly kind of sad to watch him it's like everything had been taken from his soul it seemed like it just seemed that bad but and to see him now climb up here and to be arguably the one of the most key members of this organization on a playoff run it's amazing to see for Cedric Mullins I agree I hope that he is a guy who gets extended because he's, he's only 28 years old and I know he's reaching that cliff soon of you know, declining value a little bit there and declining athletic ability. You hit that age 30, 31 wall there. But still, I mean, he's a guy who I also feel like is fairly fresher. I mean, he doesn't have a ton of mileage on those legs here at the major league level. And I think he could be an asset for uh, for years to come here in Baltimore. Yeah, and I also think he can kind of offset the, the loss of athleticism as he gets a little bit older by, we're seeing it this year, cut down the strikeout rate, increase the walk rate. He's got sneaky pop can just kind of lean back into that a little bit more, move over to left field. I I think it's a little less risky than maybe a lot of people think as far as signing him to, I'm not saying like an eight-year deal, but like a four or five-year deal. Yeah. I mean, just just looking again, like at his projections, he's projected to be a four-win player uh, for 2024, 2025. So even if he starts falling off a bit, you know, you're talking about a, a guy who still projects to be, two plus win player for the next four or five years, I would say. So I, I think it would be a good value extension. I think he's he's a guy who's been here for a while. He saw the rebuild the rebuild was, you know, carryover from the previous regime. I feel like it, it's it's he's an awesome guy to have around. And also another part of an extension is that it really opens up the possibilities of maybe trading uh prospects as well. You know, I, I would say each guy that you extend is one piece from the future that you can feel a little bit more comfortable giving up um, because you don't have to replace the guy that you extended. It's a really good point. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, we're going to go into our final segment that where we like to shout out players outside of our top 30 for something they've done recently, whether it's been a good game, a good week, or just something interesting in their stat line. We want to note, I'm going to start with Nick who has a familiar name, at least actually on the hitter and the pitcher side. But the hitter is a guy we've been talking about a lot lately, but we're now talking about him at a new level. Yeah, I wanted to throw out Max Costas' name again. I know Connor got to hype him up on our show a couple weeks ago, and I realized like we just don't talk about Max Costas. Uh, and you know, obviously the defensive limitations, and you know, is he like a quote unquote prospect? You know, maybe not as much. He's not a guy who's going to you know appear in our top fifty list. I don't think at any point, but. 
he had a really nice week after getting promoted to Bowie. He had five hits. Two of them are doubles, a uh, couple walks. He's played a lot. I think he was like third or fourth on the team in Bowie and at bats, which was fun to see because he really didn't get you know regular playing time when he was down there at Aberdeen. So I guess it's just cool to see this local guy find success. He's played at three different levels this year. He's got 10 home runs, 875 OPS. And you know I think you T.T. Know, Bowens has been hurt for pretty much – most of the year. I haven't really seen him play all that often. Uh, Jacob Teeter, I don't think he's really taken that step forward this year that I thought he could, at least with the bat. So, you know, I know like first base prospect, like that's not really a thing you, you care about or, you know, need in the organization, but for a guy like Costas, undrafted free agent, maybe next year he could carve out that role as this, you know, emergency kind of depth AAA first baseman. And, you know, he's making a AAA paycheck and who knows one call away from the major leagues at that point. But, uh, on the pitching side of things, I'm going to go with Keegan Gillis because I don't think we've mentioned his name for a while. And uh, what he's doing is phenomenal, uh, at least on the surface there. It's, he had two no-hit innings last week, no walks, three strikeouts for Bowie. On the year now, he has a 1.53 ERA, a .65 whip, and a .083 average against. 45 strikeouts, 11 walks, and 29 innings. He's had one blow-up outing, and I think he's only given up an earned run in three of his 25 outings all year. So it's love watching him pitch. I think we see a decent amount of him next spring training uh, and with a shot to earn a, a role in the big league squad, or at least he's going to be in AAA next year in Norfolk and he could be a fun option at some point in uh, 2024. Yeah. Hopefully we, you didn't just jinx him like we kind of did with Juanis and Charles, but, uh, but I jinx uh, all these guys that I pick. So <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I'm going lower level with my picks. I like those. Uh, Brainer Sanchez is going to be my pitcher. He's 22 year old right-handed pitcher, six foot four. I think he was actually signed in that 2019 draft class, that inaugural Kobe Perez uh, international signing class, I should say. And yeah, he's just a big right-hander who's really put it together over the past few years. He was, you know, solid for his first few years in the organization. Last year, he was great in the DSL, but then he kind of struggled a bit once he got to the FCL. This year he started in the FCL, had a 4.15 ERA over 8.2 innings, but his FIP was 3.39, XFIP 2.26, and then he was promoted to Delmarva. And nine games with them over 12 and two-thirds innings, he has a 2.13 ERA, striking out 11, let's see, actually uh, better, I like percentages better, 32.7%, only walking 4.1% of batters so far. So yeah, I think, you know, he's probably just a relief arm, but could be a high upside one. We shall see. And I wanted to shout out two guys in the FCL on the hitting side, um, Alfredo Velasquez and Christian Benavides, because I feel like they're having mirror seasons to, to last year. They were both guys that started really slow in 2022 in the DSL. And they kind of just, you know, I saw these names in the box scores and saw how bad they were doing. I just kind of forgot about them. And then you look in the second half, they were lights out. They're not quite as lights out this year, and there's only like a week or so left, but uh, they're both turning it around big time over the past few weeks to a month, and just uh, wanted to give them some love as well. They're a couple infielders, so, you know, shouts out to them. Yeah, I'll start with my hitter, and it's a guy that's probably familiar to listeners on our show, and that's Silas Ardwan. Ardwan was recently promoted up to double-A Bowie after a run at Aberdeen where I think it's fair to say that he struggled at the plate. He was doing some of the things well that we expect him to do, walking 16% of the time, or actually 18% of the time, had a 369 one base percentage, 105 WRC plus. But then you look, he's also striking out over 32% of the time, hitting 215. So the raw stat line didn't really suggest that this was a guy that was ready for that promotion, at least offensively. Nonetheless, he got the promotion. And so far, it's hitting really well in Bowie, which he showed last week as he went 6-for-15 at the plate in five games against Richmond with three RBI, four walks against six strikeouts. Overall, with Bowie so far, Dwan has been up there just eight games, but he's hitting 308 with a 123 WRC+, plus, a 16% walk rate, and he's cut that strike rate, strikeout rate down to 22.6%, all the while continuing to play good defense behind the plate. So I think there is a good chance that Ardwan really ends this year on a high note. And we're looking at him among the better catching prospects in this organization heading into next season. And then on the pitching side, going to shout out a guy that has really trended in a positive direction in the last few months. And that's Kyle Verbitsky. 
Ravitsky delivered five shutout innings in a win against Brooklyn last week, striking out five while walking just one and allowing just three hits. In the month of April, Verbitsky really struggled. 12-6-6 ERA with 12 strikeouts against nine walks and 10 and two-thirds innings pitch. Ever since then, though, he has settled in and been a guy that has become one of Aberdeen's more dependable starters and to this point in the season has now settled into a 4-2-5 ERA over 78 in the third innings pitch with 80 strikeouts against 33 walks. So definitely continuing to pitch well as he started to do really back in late May and is probably one of the more reliable arms in Aberdeen's staff. And picks. With that, Santiago, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate your insight tonight. The new episode of Between the Numbers uh, just came out in our podcast feed. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what's discussed in that and what you're planning to talk about in future episodes? Yeah, so uh, the latest episode was discussing uh, – Pretty much the trade deadline, just a quick overview of Jack Flaherty, Shintaro Fujinami, and the guys who gave up. So Prieto, uh, Rome, Showalter, and Easton Lucas. Um, yeah, in future episodes, probably uh, going to be doing um, some ideas that are coming up, doing the opposite of what was kind of looked at today, but kind of what constitutes the core of a pitching staff. Um and generally looking at some additional fatigue stuff. I think just when we were re uh, recording this, you know, looking at position player fatigue is something like that could be interesting. And yeah, really any baseball question that comes to mind, if anybody uh, wants anything looked at, uh, I'm always uh, open for suggestions. So yeah, but thank you guys for having me. It's been a great time. Of course. And, uh, Logan Reinhardt, uh, he was missing on that trade deadline acquisition uh, breakdown, so you got to get to that. Saving a whole episode on him. <laughs> I thought so. Thank you to San Diego Taboada for joining us on tonight's episode. Nick, Bob, and I will be back on the air next week. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, at BSL on the Verge. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. While you're browsing around the internet, be sure to head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com to check out the latest covers on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And while you're at BSL, be sure to hop on the message board and join and discuss some with contributors to BSL as well as fellow readers of the site. And if you have not already, sign up for our Patreon community. You can get a seven-day free trial now and sign up at the 3 5 or $10 levels. At the $3 level, you have access to our WhatsApp chat as well as a shout-out after you sign up on this show. And then at the 5 and $10 levels, you will have access to exclusive bonus daily coverage of the Orioles minor league system. And as a reminder, mark your calendars for Monday, October 2nd for our live show at Checker Spot Brewing. We'll have more details on that over the coming weeks, but we're really happy that that is in the works. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On The Verge. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay, then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.